Section 28 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3. Translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Adventure of the Caliph Harun al Rashid. Part 5. The same night it happened that a fisherman, a neighbour, mending his nets, found a piece of lead wanting, and it being too late to buy any, as the shops were shut, and he must either fish that night or his family go without bread the next day, he called to his wife and bade her inquire among the neighbours for a piece. She went from door to door on both sides of the street, but could not get any, and returned to tell her husband her ill success. He asked her if she had been to several of their neighbours, naming them, and among the rest of my house. "'No, indeed,' said the wife. "'I have not been there. That was too far off. And if I had gone, do you think I should have found any? I know by experience they never have anything when one wants it.' "'No matter,' said the fisherman. "'You are an idle hussy. You must go there.' for though you have been there a hundred times before without getting anything, you may chance to obtain what we want now. You must go. The fisherman's wife went out grumbling, came and knocked at my door, and waked me out of a sound sleep. I asked her what she wanted. Hassan, said she, as loud as she could bawl, my husband wants a bit of lead to load his nets with, and if you have a piece, desires you to give it him. The piece of lead which Sa'ad had given me was so fresh in my memory, and had so lately dropped out of my clothes, that I could not forget it. I told my neighbour I had some, and if she would stay a moment, my wife should give it to her. Accordingly, my wife, who was wakened by the noise as well as myself, got up, and groping about where I directed her, found the lead, opened the door, and gave it to the fisherman's wife, who was so overjoyed that she promised my wife that in return for the kindness she did her and her husband, she would answer for him we should have the first cast of the nets. The fisherman was so much rejoiced to see the lead which he so little expected, that he much approved his wife's promise. He finished mending his nets, and went a-fishing two hours before day, according to custom. At the first throw he caught but one fish, about a yard long, and proportionable in thickness, but afterwards had a great many successful casts, though of all the fish he took none equalled the first in size. When the fisherman had done fishing he went home, where his first care was to think of me. I was extremely surprised, when at my work, to see him come to me with a large fish in his hand. Neighbour, said he, my wife promised you last night, in return for your kindness, whatever fish I could catch at my first throw, and I approved her promise. It pleased God to send me no more than this one for you, which, such as it is, I desire you to accept. I wish it had been better. Had he sent me my net full, they should all have been yours. Neighbour, said I, the bit of lead which I sent you was such a trifle that it ought not to be valued at so high a rate. Neighbours should assist each other in their little wants. I have done no more for you than I should have expected from you, had I been in your situation. 
Therefore I would refuse your present, if I were not persuaded you gave it me freely, and that I should offend you. And since you will have it so, I take it, and return you my hearty thanks. After these civilities, I took the fish and carried it home to my wife. Here, said I, take this fish, which the fisherman our neighbour has made me a present of, in return for the bit of lead he sent to us for last night. I believe it is all we can expect from the present Sa'ad made me yesterday, promising me that it would bring me good luck. And then I told her what had passed between the two friends. My wife was much startled to see so large a fish. What would you have me do with it? said she. Our gridiron is only fit to broil small fish, and we have not a pot big enough to boil it. That is your business, answered I. Dress it as you will, I shall like it either way. I then went to my work again. In gutting the fish, my wife found a large diamond, which, when she washed it, she took for a piece of glass. Indeed, she had heard talk of diamonds, but if she had ever seen or handled any, she would not have known how to distinguish them. She gave it to the youngest of our children for a plaything, and his brothers and sisters handed it about from one to another, to admire its brightness and beauty. At night, when the lamp was lighted, and the children were still playing with the diamond, they perceived that it gave a light, when my wife, who was getting them their supper, stood between them and the lamp, upon which they snatched it from one another to try it, and the younger children fell a-crying that the elder would not let them have it long enough. But as a little matter amuses children, and makes them squabble and fall out, my wife and I took no notice of their noise, which presently ceased, when the bigger ones supped with us, and my wife had given the younger each their share. After supper the children got together again, and began to make the same noise. I then called to the eldest to know what was the matter, who told me it was about a piece of glass, which gave a light when his back was to the lamp. I bade him bring it to me, made the experiment myself, and it appeared so extraordinary that I asked my wife what it was. She told me it was a piece of glass, which she had found in gutting the fish. I thought no more than herself but that it was a bit of glass, but I was resolved to make a farther experiment of it, and therefore bade my wife put the lamp in the chimney, which she did, and still found that the supposed piece of glass gave so great a light that we might see to go to bed without the lamp. So I put it out, and placed the bit of glass upon the chimney to light us. Look, said I, this is another advantage that Sa'ad's piece of lead procures us. It will spare us the expense of oil. When the children saw the lamp was put out, and the bit of glass supplied the place, they cried out so loud, and made so great a noise from astonishment, that it was enough to alarm the neighbourhood, and before my wife and I could quiet them, we were forced to make a greater noise, nor could we silence them till we had put them to bed, where, after talking a long while in their way about the wonderful light of a bit of glass, they fell asleep. After they were asleep, my wife and I went to bed by them, and next morning, without thinking any more of the glass, I went to my work as usual, 
which ought not to seem strange for such a man as I, who had never seen any diamonds, or, if I had, never attended to their value. But before I proceed, I must tell your majesty that there was but a very slight partition wall between my house and my next neighbour's, who was a very rich Jew and a jeweller, and the chamber that he and his wife lay in joined to ours. They were both in bed, and the noise my children made awakened them. The next morning the jeweller's wife came to mine to complain of being disturbed out of their first sleep. "'Good neighbour Rachel,' which was the Jew's wife's name, said my wife, I am very sorry for what happened, and hope you will excuse it. You know it was caused by the children, and they will laugh and cry for a trifle. Come in, and I will show you what was the occasion of the noise. The Jewess went in with her, and my wife, taking the diamond, for such it really was, and a very extraordinary one, out of the chimney, put it into her hands. See here, said she. It was this piece of glass that caused all the noise. And while the Jewess, who understood all sorts of precious stones, was examining the diamond with admiration, my wife told her how she found it in the fish's belly, and what happened. Indeed, Aisha, which was my wife's name, said the jeweller's wife, giving her the diamond again, I believe as you do it is a piece of glass but as it is more beautiful than common glass, and I have just such another piece at home, I will buy it if you will sell it. The children, who heard them talking of selling their plaything, presently interrupted their conversation, crying and begging their mother not to part with it, who, to quiet them, promised she would not. The Jewess, being thus prevented in her intended swindling bargain by my children, went away, but first whispered my wife, who followed her to the door, if she had a mind to sell it, not to show it to anybody without acquainting her. The Jew went out early in the morning to his shop in that part of the town where the jewellers sell their goods. Thither his wife followed, and told him the discovery she had made. She gave him an account of the size and weight of the diamond as nearly as she could guess also of its beauty, water, and luster, and particularly of the light which it gave in the night, according to my wife's account, which was the more credible as she was uninformed. The Jew sent his wife immediately to treat, to offer her a trifle at first, as she should think fit, and then to raise her price by degrees, but be sure to bring it cost what it would. Accordingly, his wife came again to mine privately, and asked her if she would take twenty pieces of gold for the piece of glass she had shown her. My wife, thinking the sum too considerable for a mere piece of glass, as she had thought it, would not make any bargain, but told her she could not part with it till she had spoken to me. In the meantime, I came from my work to dinner. As they were talking at the door, my wife stopped me, and asked if I would sell the piece of glass she had found in the fish's belly for twenty pieces of gold, which her neighbour offered her. I returned no answer, but reflected immediately on the assurance with which Sa'ad, in giving me the piece of lead, told me it would make my fortune. The Jewess, fancying that the low price she had offered 
was the reason I made no reply, said, I will give you fifty, neighbour, if that will do. As soon as I found that she rose so suddenly from twenty to fifty, I told her that I expected a great deal more. Well, neighbour, said she, I will give you a hundred, and that is so much I know not whether my husband will approve my offering it. At this new advance, I told her I would have a hundred thousand pieces of gold for it, that I saw plainly that the diamond, for such I now guessed it must be, was worth a great deal more, but to oblige her and her husband, as they were neighbours, I would limit myself to that price, which I was determined to have, and if they refused to give it, other jewellers should have it, who would give a great deal more. The Jewess confirmed me in this resolution by her eagerness to conclude a bargain, and by coming up at several biddings to fifty thousand pieces, which I refused. "'I can offer you no more,' said she, "'without my husband's consent. He will be at home at night, and I would beg the favour of you to let him see it, which I promised.' At night, when the Jew came home, his wife told him what she had done, that she had got no forwarder with my wife or me, that she offered and I had refused fifty thousand pieces of gold, but that I had promised to stay till night at her request. He observed the time when I left off work and came to me. Neighbour Hassan, said he, I desire you would show me the diamond your wife showed to mine. I brought him in and showed it to him, and as it was very dark and my lamp was not lighted, he knew instantly by the light the diamond gave, and by the lustre it cast in my hand, that his wife had given him a true account of it. He looked at and admired it a long time. "'Well, neighbour,' said he, "'my wife tells me she offered you fifty thousand pieces of gold. I will give you twenty thousand more.' "'Neighbour,' said I, "'your wife can tell you that I valued my diamond at a hundred thousand pieces, and I will take nothing less.' He haggled a long time with me, in hopes that I would make some abatement, but finding at last that I was positive, and for fear that I should show it to other jewellers, as I certainly should have done, he would not leave me till the bargain was concluded on my own terms.' He told me that he had not so much money at home, but would pay it all to me on the morrow, that very instant fetched two bags of a thousand pieces each, as an earnest, and the next day, though I do not know how he raised the money, whether he borrowed it of his friends, or let some other jewellers into partnership with him, he brought me the sum we had agreed for at the time appointed, and I delivered to him the diamond." Having thus sold my diamond, and being rich, infinitely beyond my hopes, I thanked God for his bounty, and would have gone and thrown myself at Sa'ad's feet to express my gratitude, if I had known where he lived, as also at Sa'adi's, to whom I was first obliged, though his good intention had not the same success. Afterwards I thought of the use I ought to make of so considerable a sum, my wife, with the vanity natural to her sex, proposed immediately to buy rich clothes for herself and children, to purchase a house, and furnish it handsomely. 
I told her we ought not to begin with such expenses. For, said I, money should only be spent so that it may produce a fund from which we may draw without its failing. This I intend, and shall begin to-morrow. I spent all that day and the next in going to the people of my own trade, who worked as hard every day for their bread as I had done, and giving them money beforehand, engaged them to work for me in different sorts of rope-making, according to their skill and ability, with a promise not to make them wait for their money, but to pay them as soon as their work was done. By this means I engrossed almost all the business of Baghdad, and everybody was pleased with my exactness and punctual payment. As so great a number of workmen produced, as your majesty may judge, a large quantity of work, I hired warehouses in several parts of the town to hold my goods, and appointed over each a clerk, to sell both wholesale and retail, and by this economy received considerable profit and income. Afterwards, to unite my concerns in one spot, I bought a large house, which stood on a great deal of ground, but was ruinous, pulled it down, and built that your majesty saw yesterday, which, though it makes so great an appearance, consists for the most part of warehouses for my business, with apartments absolutely necessary for myself and family. Some time after I had left my old mean habitation, and removed to this, Sa'ad and Sa'adi, who had scarcely thought of me from the last time they had been with me, as they were one day walking together, and passing by our street, resolved to call upon me. But great was their surprise when they did not see me at work. They asked what was become of me, and if I was alive or dead. Their amazement was redoubled when they were told I was become a great manufacturer, and was no longer called plain Hassan, but Khawja Hassan al-Huba'u, and that I had built in a street, which was named to them, a house like a palace. The two friends went directly to the street, and in the way, as Sa'adi could not imagine that the bit of lead which Sa'ad had given me could have been the raising of my fortune, he said to him, I am overjoyed to have made Hassan's fortune, but I cannot forgive the two lies he told me to get four hundred pieces instead of two, for I cannot attribute it to the piece of lead you gave him. So you think, replied Sa'ad, but so do not I. I do not see why you should do Khawja Hassan so much injustice as to take him for a liar. You must give me leave to believe that he told us the truth, disguised nothing from us, that the piece of lead which I gave him is the cause of his prosperity, and you will find he will presently tell us so. During their discourse, the two friends came into the street where I lived, asked whereabouts my house stood, and being shown it, could hardly believe it to be mine. They knocked at the door, and my porter opened it, when Sa'adi, fearing to be guilty of rudeness in taking the house of a nobleman for that he was inquiring after, said to the porter, We are informed that this is the house of Khawja Hassan al-Huba'u. Tell us if we are mistaken. You are very right, sir, said the porter, opening the door wider. It is the same. Come in, 
he is in the hall, and any of the slaves will point him out to you. I had no sooner set my eyes upon the two friends than I knew them. I rose from my seat, ran to them, and would have kissed the hem of their garments, but they would not suffer it, and embraced me. I invited them to a sofa made to hold four persons, which was placed full in view of my garden. I desired them to sit down, and they would have me take the place of honour. I assured them I had not forgotten that I was poor Hassan the rope-maker, nor the obligations I had to them. But, were this not the case, I knew the respect due to them, and begged them not to expose me. They sat down in the proper place, and I seated myself opposite to them. Then Sa'adi, addressing himself to me, said, Halja Hassan, I cannot express my joy to see you in the condition I wished you when I twice made you a present of two hundred pieces of gold, for I mean not to upbraid you, though I am persuaded that those four hundred pieces have made this wonderful change in your fortune, which I behold with pleasure. One thing only vexes me, which is that you should twice disguise the truth from me, pretending that your losses were the effect of misfortunes which now seem to me more than ever incredible. Was it not because, when we were together the last time, you had so little advanced your small income with the four hundred pieces of gold that you were ashamed to own it? I am willing to believe this, and wait to be confirmed in my opinion. Sa'ad heard this speech of Sa'adi's with impatience, not to see indignation, which he showed by casting down his eyes and shaking his head. He did not, however, interrupt him. When he had done, he said to him, Forgive me, Sa'adi, if I anticipate Khalja Hassan before he answers you, to tell you that I am vexed at your prepossession against his sincerity, and that you still persist in not believing the assurances he has already given you. I have told you before, and I repeat it once more, that I believe those two accidents which befell him upon his bare assertion, and whatever you may say, I am persuaded they are true. But let him speak himself, and say which of us does him justice. After this discourse of the two friends, I said, addressing myself to them both, Gentlemen, I should condemn myself to perpetual silence on the explanation you ask of me, if I were not certain the dispute you have had on my account cannot break that friendship which subsists between you. Therefore I will declare to you the truth, since you require it, and with the same sincerity as before. I then told them every circumstance your majesty has heard, without forgetting the least. All my protestations had no effect on Sa'adi, to cure him of his prejudice. Khalja Hassan, replied he, the adventure of the fish and diamond found in his belly appears to me as incredible as the vultures flying away with your turban and the exchange of the scouring earth. Be it as it may, I am equally convinced that you are no longer poor, but rich as I intended you should be, by my means, and I rejoice sincerely. As it grew late, they rose up to depart, when I stopped them and said, Gentlemen, 
there is one favour i have to ask i beg of you not to refuse to do me the honour to stay and take a slight supper with me also a bed to-night and to-morrow i will carry you by water to a small country house which i bought for the sake of the air and we will return the same day on my horses if saad has no business that calls him elsewhere said saadi i consent saad told him that nothing should prevent his enjoying his company we have only to send a slave to my house that we may not be waited for i provided a slave and while they were giving him their orders i went and ordered supper while it was getting ready i showed my benefactors my house and all my offices which they thought very extensive considering my fortune i call them both benefactors without distinction because without saadi saad would never have given me the piece of lead and without saad saadi would not have given me the four hundred pieces of gold then i brought them back again into the hall where they asked me several questions about my concerns and i gave them such answers as satisfied them during this conversation my servants came to tell me that supper was served up i led them into another hall where they admired the manner in which it was lighted the furniture and the entertainment i had provided i regaled them also with a concert of vocal and instrumental music during the repast and afterwards with a company of dancers and other entertainments endeavouring as much as possible to show them my gratitude the next morning as we had agreed to set out early to enjoy the fresh air we repaired to the riverside by sunrise and went on board a pleasure boat well carpeted that waited for us and in less than an hour and a half with six good rowers and the stream we arrived at my country house when we went ashore the two friends stopped to observe the beauty of the architecture of my house and to admire its advantageous situation for prospects which were neither too much limited nor too extensive but such as made it very agreeable i then conducted them into all the apartments and showed them the outhouses and conveniences with all which they were very well pleased afterwards we walked in the gardens where what they were most struck with was a grove of orange and lemon trees loaded with fruit and flowers which were planted at equal distances and watered by channels cut from a neighbouring stream the close shade the fragrant smell which perfumed the air the soft murmurings of the water the harmonious notes of an infinite number of birds and many other agreeable circumstances struck them in such a manner that they frequently stopped to express how much they were obliged to me for bringing them to so delightful a place and to congratulate me on my great acquisitions with other compliments i led them to the end of the grove which was very long and broad where i showed them a wood of large trees which terminated my garden and afterwards a summer-house open to all sides shaded by a clump of palm-trees but not so as to injure the prospect i then invited them to walk in and repose themselves on a sofa covered with carpets and cushions two of my boys whom i had sent into the country with a tutor for the air had gone just then into the wood and seeing a nest which was built in the branches of a lofty tree 
they attempted to get at it. But as they had neither strength nor skill to accomplish their object, they showed it to the slave who waited on them, and bade him climb the tree for it. The slave, when he came to it, was much surprised to find it composed of a turban. However, he took it, brought it down, and showed it to my children, and as he thought that I might like to see a nest that was so uncommon, he gave it to the eldest boy to bring to me. I saw the children at a distance coming back to us, overjoyed to have procured a nest. "'Father!' said the eldest, "'we have found a nest in a turban!' The two friends and I were very much surprised at the novelty, but I much more when I recognised the turban to be that which the vulture had flown away with. After I had examined it well and turned it about, I said to my guests, "'Gentlemen, have you memories good enough to remember the turban I had on the day you did me the honour first to speak to me?' "'I do not think,' said Sa'ad, "'that either my friend or I gave any attention to it. But if the hundred and ninety pieces of gold are in it, we cannot doubt of it. Sir, replied I, there is no doubt but it is the same turban, for besides that I know it perfectly well, I feel by the weight it is too heavy to be any other, and you will perceive this if you give yourself the trouble to take it in your hand. Then, after taking out the birds and giving them to the children, I put it into his hands, and he gave it to Sa'adi. Indeed, said Sa'adi, I believe it to be your turban, which I shall, however, be better convinced of when I see the hundred and ninety pieces of gold. Now, sir, said I, taking the turban again, observe well before I unwrap it that it is of no very fresh date in the tree, and the state in which you see it, and the nest so neatly made in it, without having been touched by the hand of man, are sufficient proofs that the vulture dropped or laid it in the tree upon the day it was seized, and that the branches hindered it from falling to the ground. Excuse my making this remark, since it concerns me so much to remove all suspicions of fraud. Sa'ad backed me in what I urged, and said, Sa'adi! This regards you and not me, for I am verily persuaded that Khawja Hassan does not impose upon us. While Sa'ad was talking, I pulled off the linen cloth which was wrapped about the cap of the turban, and took out the purse which Sa'adi knew to be the same he had given me. I emptied it on the carpet before them, and said, There, gentlemen, there is the money. Count it, and see if it be right. Which Sa'ad did and found it to be one hundred and ninety pieces of gold. Then Sa'adi, who could not deny so manifest a truth, addressing himself to me, said, I agree, Halja Hassan, that this money could not serve to enrich you, but the other hundred and ninety pieces, which you would make me believe you hid in a pot of bran, might. Sir, answered I, I have told you the truth in regard to both sums. You would not have me retract to make myself a liar. Khalja Hassan, said Sa'ad, leave Sa'adi to his own opinion. I consent with all my heart that he believes you are obliged to him for one part of your good fortune, by means of the last sum he gave you, provided he will agree that I contributed to the other half by the bit of lead, 
and will not pretend to dispute the valuable diamond found in the fish's belly i agree to it answered saadi but still you must give me liberty to believe that money is not to be amassed without money what replied saad if chance should throw a diamond in my way worth fifty thousand pieces of gold and i should have that sum given me for it can it be said i got that sum by money they disputed no farther at this time we rose and went into the house just as dinner was serving up after dinner i left my guests together to pass away the heat of the day more at their liberty and with great composure while i went to give orders to my housekeeper and gardener afterwards i returned to them again and we talked of indifferent matters till it grew a little cooler when we returned into the garden for fresh air and stayed till sunset we then mounted on horseback and got to baghdad by moonlight two hours after followed by one of my slaves it happened i know not by what negligence of my servants that we were then out of grain for the horses and the storehouses were all shut up when one of my slaves seeking about the neighbourhood for some met with a pot of bran in a shop bought the bran and brought the pot along with him promising to carry it back again the next day the slave emptied the bran and dividing it with his hands among the horses felt a linen cloth tied up and very heavy he brought the cloth to me in the condition that he found it and presented it to me telling me that it might perhaps be the cloth he had often heard me talk of among my friends overjoyed i said to my two benefactors gentlemen it has pleased god that you should not part from me without being fully convinced of the truth of what i have assured you there are the other hundred and ninety pieces of gold which you gave me continued i addressing myself to saadi i know it well by the cloth which i tied up with my own hands and then i told out the money before them i ordered the pot to be brought to me knew it to be the same and sent my wife to ask if she recognised it ordering them to say nothing to her of what had happened she knew it immediately and sent me word that it was the same pot she had exchanged full of bran for the scouring earth saadi readily submitted renounced his incredulity and said to saad i yield to you and acknowledge that money is not always the means of becoming rich when saadi had spoken i said to him i dare not propose to return you the three hundred and eighty pieces of gold which it hath pleased god should be found to undeceive you as to the opinion of my honesty i am persuaded that you did not give them to me with an intention that i should return them but as i ought to be content with what providence has sent me from other quarters and i do not design to make use of them if you approve of my proposal to-morrow i will give them to the poor that god may bless us both the two friends lay at my house that night also and next day after embracing me returned home well pleased with the reception i had given them and to find i did not make an improper use of the riches heaven had blessed me with i thanked them both and regarded the permission they gave me to cultivate their friendship and to visit them as a great honour the caliph was so attentive to khaujah hassan's story that he had not perceived the end of it but by his silence 
Khalja Hassan, said he, I have not for a long time heard anything that has given me so much pleasure as having been informed of the wonderful ways by which God gave thee thy riches to make thee happy in this world. Thou oughtest to continue to return him thanks by the good use thou makest of his blessings. I am glad I can tell thee that the same diamond which made thy fortune is now in my treasury, and I am happy to learn how it came there. But because there may remain in Sa'adi some doubts on the singularity of this diamond, which I esteem the most precious and valuable jewel I possess, I would have you carry it with Sa'ad to my treasurer, who shall show it them, to remove Sa'adi's unbelief, and to let him see that money is not the only means of making a poor man rich in a short time, without labour. I would also have you tell the keeper of my treasury this story, that he may have it put into writing, and that it may be kept with the diamond. After these words, the caliph signified to Khalja Hassan, Syed Nalma'on, and Baba Abdullah, by bowing of his head, that he was satisfied with them. They all took their leave by prostrating themselves at the throne, and then retired. End of section 28